Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning is from the Old Testament, from Genesis chapter 22, and the page was intentionally left blank so that you can turn the page, have Genesis chapter 22 open throughout our sermon as you take sermon notes, because we are going to read Genesis chapter 22 throughout our sermon this morning instead of at the beginning. So let's go before our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to listen to your voice this morning and every day of our lives. Help us always to embrace your promises. In your Savior's name, amen. He had a past he wasn't proud of. He had an identity he was conflicted about. And he had a future that he was afraid of. And what's more, I had the opportunity to sit down with him was because he was convinced that his religious past, his spiritual journey, well, was just negatively impacting all of it. He, he had some assumptions. Because he was not proud of his past, he assumed that God must be punishing him right now. Because he was conflicted about his identity and, and who he was and is, he was sure that, that God and, and God's church could never really embrace and love him. Because he was afraid of his future, he was certain, or at least he assumed, that God would one day cast him away forever that God would certainly not ever give him blessings or, or good things in this life. I was grateful to get to sit and listen to him, share with me his religious experience, his spiritual assumptions. So what I did is I opened up to Luke chapter 15. And I asked him, I said, have you ever heard the story of the prodigal son? The lost son, maybe some of you see it in your Bibles as... And I told him the story. We read together Luke chapter 15, the account, the parable of an illustration of God's love. That God is our heavenly father who, who welcomes us home with open arms regardless of our past. We have a God who embraces us and reminds us that our identity in him is that we are his sons and daughters no matter what because he loves us and forgives us. And what that means, we have a future. We have a future that we can always be sure of, that we can always be hopeful for, because what does that parable tell us? That everything that is the Father's, it's yours. What is there to be afraid of? I shared that parable, that passage with him, and he had one question for me. Really? Is that true? And so I, I gave him a very simple answer. Yes. Yes, that is true. And his life changed. 
Not because of my astute pastoral care. Not, not because I am a pastor who, who knows what the Bible says. No. It's because we took assumptions that we had and we matched them up with the truth of what Christ says. We rethought religion, spirituality, but we did so specifically through the lens of Scripture. And now, he has a past he's at peace with. He has an identity he has confidence in, and he has a future that is filled with hope. Because he rethought religion. He, he tested his assumptions. I wish I could tell you that he was the only one that ever had assumptions, that ever, ever, ever had ideas that weren't quite accurate with what the Bible says. But he wasn't. I could tell you the story about the young lady who, even though she was a Christian her entire life, was afraid of Judgment Day. Until we look together at what God's Word says about Judgment Day, that God is going to heaven. He's preparing a mansion so that you are filled with peace and one day he's going to come back and take you to be with him and you can take that promise to the bank. I wish I could tell you about the old man who his entire life had treated the Ten Commandments like his to-do list, like he had to do them right, at least more often than not, and that's how he was going to get to heaven. And because of that, he, I mean, he was burdened. Until we tested that assumption with what Scripture says, that, that you're saved not by your works, but by a gift that God gives you. And that gift is called grace. That gift is called faith. I wish I could tell you about the parents who thought there's no way that baptism could really affect power in someone's life and, and save even themselves or their child until we tested that assumption with what Scripture says, that baptism saves you, not just symbolizes something, but saves you by connecting you really and truly to the resurrection of Jesus. I don't know if it's an assumption, but everyone has assumptions about religion. Everyone has assumptions about spirituality and Christianity. How do you know that your assumptions are right? How do you know what you think, what you feel, what, what you know about Christianity is, is true? Well, it's by doing the thing that the gentleman and I got to do. It's taking it captive to Christ and his word and aligning our ideas, our assumptions up with truth, with what he says about religion and spirituality and Christianity. Throughout the season of Lent, that's what we're going to do. We're going to test all of our assumptions, and we're going to do so through the lens of Scripture. We're going to test our ideas about worship and, and why it is we come and gather together here. We're going to test our ideas out about what we assume sin is or discipleship is or suffering is, and we're going to line it up with God's Word. And today what we're going to do is test our assumptions about trials, temptations, and the tests that God gives us in life. So let's define a few terms, shall we? Here's, here's some super heavy theological definitions for temptations and trials that I'd like you to write down and, and take notes on if you're following along in our worship guide. What is a temptation? Here it is. Here's the definition. Are you ready? It's sins that seduce. 
It's sins that seduce us to actually give in and and do them and commit them against our God's will. Now, here's the note that is very helpful to keep in mind throughout today. Temptations, they are not from God. James chapter one tells us that when we are tempted, we can't say, oh, God is tempting me because God is perfect. God can't do evil, nor can he tempt anyone to do evil. So where do temptations come from? Temptations come from the devil, from the world, and our sinful flesh. But what are trials? Trials, here's a really heavy theological definition. It's stuff that stinks. It's stuff that, it's not necessarily sinful, but it's the result of living in a sinful world. And what our Father in heaven tells us is that we will have those. Even though we we live in faith, even though we live our lives in the resurrection light of Christ, we will, this side of heaven, deal with all sorts of grief because of the trials that we have. So what are tests? Well, throughout our sermon today, we're going to define that. You're going to go home today with a absolutely clear understanding of what tests are and why God tests us. But for now, I want you to think of tests in this way. Tests are an umbrella term that scripture uses for both trials and temptations that come into our life. Why does God give them? Well, people have a lot of assumptions about why God gives them. Why does God give tests? Traditional religion would say that tests come into our life because God is punishing you, because God is angry with you, so he's testing you. More modern takes, like Reddit, would say that tests are what God does to make us stronger or wean us out, really, you know, shift the chaff, see who's really in, who's out. Christian blog said that tests are a means of purification, a means of helping to remove the bad things in our life. Pastors.com says testing is how our character will grow. And a very famous, popular website, the Bible Project, says testing is how God determines our loyalty. So what are tests and, and why does God give them? There seems to be a lot of assumptions about why God gives tests. But this morning, what we're gonna do is line it up with God's word. We've lined it up specifically with an example of a test that we find in God's word of God testing Abraham. Our lesson for our sermon comes from Genesis chapter 22. But leading up to that, we're gonna have to back up and cover 10 chapters from chapter 12 to 22. Now you might think to yourself, Pastor, why, why are we going to do all that this morning? Or you might say, all right, I already know what those chapters are about. But stick with me. Stick with me for two reasons. Number one, understanding what Abraham went through leading up to his test is going to help us understand why God tests us and what tests are. But also, as, as you listen, and if you pay close enough attention, before we get there, you're going to understand why God tests and what his purpose is in giving tests as we cover the 10 chapters leading up to the big, the final test that God gives to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. But first, we start in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, test number one. This is a trial. God calls Abraham while he was 75 years old and says to him, go, leave your family. 
is the trial. This, this stinks. I don't know about any of you, but if, if God came to me and said, Matt, you need to pack everything up and, and move far away from your family, that'd be really hard, wouldn't it? God's voice came to Abraham and Abraham went. God's promise also came to Abraham and he said, guess what? Because I'm calling you, I'm going to make your offspring prosperous. I'm going to give you all this land. So test number one that Abraham encounters, he passes. Here's test number two, the very same chapter. Abraham moves to the land that God said he's going to give him. God doesn't tell him to go anywhere else, but to follow his voice. He says nothing, but then a famine comes. And Abraham thinks, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to solve this. I'm going to take matters into my own hand. I'm going to move to Egypt where I'm going to be well. And then he does something real crazy. He says, you know what? My wife is really beautiful. And I know God said that through her, he's going to give me a son who's going to be the offspring of many through whom God has many. I'm going, to, I'm going to come up with this ruse to keep myself safe. I'm going to say she's my sister. I'm going to say she's my sister. So even if, if the king and the pharaoh of Egypt take her away and brings her into his harem, I'm good. That's test number two, a temptation, yeah, to take matters into his own hand. And Abraham failed. Abraham failed that test. And yet, what do we see God do? Find a new Abraham? No. The very next chapter, he reissues his promise to him. The land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring, Abraham. Test number three. Abraham is now 85 years old. He has received the promise that God's going to give him a son at age 75 a decade ago. God's word comes to him and says, don't be afraid, Abraham. Trust me in this. I am your shield, your very great reward. What does Abraham say? No, you're not. You didn't give me a son. So here's what we're going to do, God. I got Eliezer of Damascus. He's my right-hand man. And how about you just give me all that good stuff through him? God says to him, no. Eliezer won't be your offspring. He won't inherit this promise. I'm going to give you a son through your wife, Sarah. Hard to believe. Can you imagine the trial of, of believing that after 10 years, seeing nothing? But Abraham did. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham passed the test. Here's test number four. It's now been 11 years since God promised Abraham that he'd give him a son through his wife, Sarah. And Sarah, she's getting as impatient as Abraham. So she comes up with a plan. She says, hey, Abraham, how about this? How about you just sleep with my servant, Hagar? And Abraham goes, mm, no, this is not what God promised. No. Abraham sinfully looks at this temptation, that's what it is, and goes, okay. And sleeps with someone, not his wife, because he's taking this into his own hands. Plan C, I'm going to have an offspring through someone else. Test number four, Abraham failed. And yet, what does God do? He comes again to him and says, look, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And this time, this covenant, just so you're aware, is one-sided. I'm going to do this for you, no matter how royally you mess this up, Abraham. I am going to give you an heir. 
Who is going to greatly increase your numbers? As, as many as the stars that you can count sand on the seashore, that's how numerous your offspring will be. And you fast forward ahead and, and God fulfills his promise. At age 100, 25 years after the fact, God makes good on his promise and he gives Abraham and Sarah a son named Isaac. And then we get to one chapter later. The final test, Genesis chapter 22, our sermon lesson for today, where God tests Abraham. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Bit of a curveball, huh? After 25 years, God makes good on his promise. Abraham believed him and then reaped the benefits of God's wonderful promise. And then God tests him with something unimaginable, sacrificing his son. Now, I said this is unimaginable because it's, it's inconceivable. It's illogical. We know, Scripture says, that God does not Tempt. He doesn't tempt people to do evil, but look at what he's asking. He, he's asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. We know that God values life, but why this? What can we say? Well, I'm not going to say it was a, not a trial or, or was a temptation, but what I will say is what Scripture says. This is a test. God is testing Abraham it doesn't make sense. It is, as I said, unimaginable. Think about the tests that God has given you or is giving you right now. There's no way that we could list all the variety of ways that God tests his people. But one thing's true. It's unimaginable. I bet if you thought back 10 years ago, you might say, I, I thought I'd never be in that. If you're looking back at a test, I, thought, I bet you'd say, I never imagined I'd get through it. Because that's often what tests are, illogical things that don't make any sense in the face of what God has promised, what God has said. God said he's going to send a son to Abraham. He did. God said that through him, he's going to bless many nations. But then, unimaginably, God says, sacrifice him. Why does God test us? We continue on. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants. Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. I'm sorry, I got, I got a, far, a bit ahead. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. I don't know if Father Abraham was up all night 
making a list on his cell phone about what he needed to pack, donkey, two servants, enough wood. I know I would be. Yet look what he does. Without hesitation, he goes the next morning. I don't know about you, but I think I would have stayed up all night, maybe made my list, but also complained. Maybe whined a little bit and said, God, this is not fair. God, why is it that you're asking me to do something that's unimaginable? God, it seems to me like you don't know what you're talking about because I know that you love life and you wouldn't want me to take somebody's life. I also know you promised this life would give life to many. But Abraham passes the test. Abraham passes the test because he knows what tests are about. He knows why God gives tests. And so he sets out and he travels for three days. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I go, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. This wasn't just 15 minutes to church. This wasn't just like, we're going to drive out around the corner, get this over with real quick. This was three days of travel. Three days of traveling together. What do you think Abraham thought about over the course of those three days? What do you think went through his mind as he contemplated what he was about to do. I know in my mind, I would have thought as many different outs as possible. I would have thought of many different ways that maybe God would change his mind in what he was asking me to do. I don't know if I would have thought in terms of worship like Abraham and rejoicing like the apostle Peter said thousands of years later, that in all of these trials, in all of these difficulties, in all of these tests, that we are to rejoice, that we are to give praise to God But what is the conclusion that Abraham came to after three days? This doesn't make sense, but this is worship. This is one way that we will ascribe worship to God. And listen to the confidence that he says in it too. We're going to go and worship and we're going to come back. Abraham passes the test because he knew what God uses tests for. Do you yet? Verse six, Abraham took wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. Fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. There's a danger in talking about tests in church. It's that we over-spiritualize and romanticize them. That we talk about them in a way that maybe makes them seem like they're easy. (laughs) These are real people. Isaac's 12, 13, maybe 15 years old. He's smart. He's worshiped with his father before. He knows about the offerings. 
He knows I got the wood, I got the fire. Dad, where's it at? Where's the lamb? And it rips your heart out. He says, my father, he trusts him. He calls him my son. Abraham could have lied. Abraham could have said, oh, I don't know, and just ignored his son. He could have said, yeah, you're right. I, I don't know, Isaac, but I tell you what, I brought some grain. Let's just skip the whole burnt offering and do a grain offering. I, I think that'll be better. God will like that. He doesn't do that, though. He, he passes the test yet again. And he goes through it all. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Abraham's about 112 to 115 years old. His son, as I said, is 12 to 15. Now, because my dad watches this, I have, to, I have to say this, that when I was 15, my dad was in his 40s. And I have to say this. I have to say that my dad could have bound me, but it would not have been easy. I say all this not to make light of what took place here, but to highlight just how serious the struggle in this test was. Because that's what tests are. They're not easy. But Abraham knew what the purpose was. Do you? The angel of the Lord called out to him, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld anything from him. You have not withheld from me your son, your only son. There it is. There's the test in completion. Abraham passes the last question on the test aces the entire test. Why? How is probably the better question. How is it that Abraham passes this test? It's because he knew what tests are for, what God uses tests for. And now you do too. Abraham knew that God uses tests as tools, tools to get you and me to more intimately listen to him and his voice and to get you and I to more intensely latch on to his promises. How else could Abraham has possibly passed that test? How else could he have demonstrated a faith like that? Let's back up just a little bit. What do you think he was thinking as he lay awake at night, the evening that God came to him and said, go sacrifice your son? But God, you said that you're going to give him to me and you're going to bring offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky through him. What do you think that, that Abraham was listening to as he rode his donkey for three days 
Yeah, there's probably a temptation to listen to the voice in his head saying, God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. God, God wasn't serious about his promises. But he told those voices to go away. Stop lying. Because he reviewed in his head all of the promises that God gave him, that you will have a son, that I'm making a covenant between me and you that I'm going to make good on, that nothing, nothing will come between, nothing will separate us from the fact that I'm going to bring through him blessings to so many people. Count the sand on the shore. You can't. That's how many people will be blessed because of the son that I am going to give to you. So what did Abraham do? He listened to that voice. He intensely latched onto it. How do I know that? Because that's what scripture says. Hebrews chapter 11 said, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He went through with it. Why? Because he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, a promise. It's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned <laughs> in the unimaginable. I got a reason that God actually was serious about his promises. So I, he's got to do something else because he's not going to let me take his life. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. What are tests for? Tests are for you and me, Abraham and every believer since, to more intimately know the voice of God and know that that voice, those promises that are spoken in scripture are for you, to more intensely embrace, latch on to, and never let go of those promises because tests are unimaginable. Tests are, are going to try and separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord but nothing can. We read on. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on that mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Abraham could have named the mountain the worst day ever. He could have named the mountain the day I almost lost my son. But what does he name it? The Lord will provide. Because he knew that that which God promised, he will do. He will always provide. And friends, that same God will always provide to you. He gave up his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not die but will have everything, including eternal life in him. That is the God that we have, the God who will provide. You want to know what would happen generations later on that mountain? Solomon would build a temple. Solomon would build a temple there. And on that temple, there would be a lot of rams sacrificed. But you want to know what all those rams had in common? They pointed ahead to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of you and me. There's a few more verses we got to read. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. 
your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. God reiterates his promise, and he says, it's because you obeyed me. We could walk away from the story in Genesis chapter 22 and say, that's it. It's because Abraham obeyed that God blessed him. But that would actually betray what what God was really saying. In Hebrew, it says, not because you obeyed me. These are synonyms, but there's a slight nuance here. It says, because you have listened to my voice. Because you listened to my voice. Because you listened to my voice, which was intimately meant for you and you. And you latched on and you embraced all my promises. I'm going to carry out the very promises I made in the beginning. Why do I highlight this for you? It's because it helps us understand the purpose of tests. Tests are for one purpose and one purpose alone. It's to drive you to the living, eternal word of God. It's not to drive you to yourself. Very often people will think that tests, if I go through with them, they produce blessings, purification, strength. My character grows. But that is a failed understanding of what tests are. Tests, in that way, Put the emphasis on you and you passing the test. And you might think, well, I overcame this test. I'm I'm so strong. But that's only going to leave you crushed. Because that's not how tests work. The real purpose of tests is this, that it leads you to the Word of God. And then guess what the Word of God does? The Word of God strengthens you. The Word of God and the Word of God alone purifies you. The word of God and and that alone and the Holy Spirit working through his means in water, in, in, in communion, in the word of God as it is, the word of God there grows your character and strengthens your faith in all of the promises again. That's how tests work. And what are tests? Well, they're tools. If you're filling in the blanks, here it is. Tests are simply this. In the hands of loving God, they're tools to save you, to help you, refine you, grow you, and strengthen you. That's what tests are. I don't know if you're keeping track of Abraham's overall test scores throughout this sermon, but if you read through all of Genesis chapter 12 through 22, what you'll note is this. He fails more than he passes. And what, what do we know about Abraham? This is a man of faith. This is a man of faith who relies on his God. I don't know how you're doing at the tests in your life. If you're passing with flying colors, you can let us know. But if you tend to fail, know this, that you have a ram in the thicket. You have a God who came for you, who who defeated Satan for you, living perfectly, and died in your place, passing every test for you so that, well, you can have a past that you can be at peace with. You can have an identity that you have confidence in because you know whose you are and you have a future that is full of hope. Amen.